we just want to continue right into this is I'm believing and through the word today you're going to be encouraged as we go through the book uh, of Ephesians and as we allow the work of the Holy Spirit to continue. Aren't you thankful for his presence this morning as he's moving and touching our lives? Uh, we also want to welcome everyone watching online. We're happy you're here. Can we put our hands together and just welcome those that are watching? We love you. Even if you're on one of the many beaches in Florida, we bless you and we love you. People text me this morning. They're like, yeah, we're on vacation in Florida, but we're going to be watching. Like, if you can get a Wi-Fi connection out on the beach, that's a great place to have church. I don't blame you. Awesome. Well, God's been doing amazing things, man. He touched hearts and lives this morning uh, in our early service. And uh, with it being spring break and different ones, I know Peter and Christian, we were praying for you guys. You guys were under the weather uh, last week, so we're glad you guys and the kids are back. Um, and all those that are back from spring break, Kelsey and Corey. Corey, it is always a blessing when we get to have you on Sunday in church. Your work schedule usually has you, but we get you this morning. Uh, but we're just happy and believing that this morning, God's got a word for you, and he wants to bless you. He wants to touch you, especially as we look in Ephesians. Last week, we looked at how we're rich in Christ. Anyone thankful that we are rich by the grace of Jesus Christ? The, the major theme we see in Ephesians is in Christ. It's not anything we can do, the works that we put our hands to, but it's the works of Jesus. Jesus has done the work. And we come underneath his works and allow his works to touch our lives and to change our lives. It's a new identity that we have been given. The world we live in today, I believe Ephesians is so relevant because the times that Paul wrote to those in Ephesians, Ephesus was a wealthy land, was a major port of commerce and of economy. Uh, it was also a very pagan society. There was the rituals, the things that took place were very sinful and against the kingdom and the ways of God. So we see through the book of Ephesians that in a place that's dark, a place that uh, one might write off and say is lost, the power of God can go to work and begin to change the darkest of situations, the darkest of places. He can touch us and he can touch dark places and spaces in our lives. So Ephesians speaks to this and I believe it's gonna speak to you and strengthen you. Ephesians is also known as uh, what some theologians would say is a golden epistle of Paul, that there's a great framework and structure for our theology of what it looks like to be in Christ. Because when you get the fullness of the reality of that, man, I am in Christ, everything you do, everything you say, the way you walk and talk, everything begins to change because we are image bearers. We're image bearers of Jesus. And when we uh, come into agreement, when we step into his works, our lives begin to change. Dead works begin to leave our life and living works begin to, to come up all around us because we're saved by grace through faith for good works. And even our faith doesn't save us, but it's the object of our faith who is Jesus Christ. And that's the one we honor this morning. That's the one that uh, Michelle led us in such a beautiful song of honoring Jesus in our lives. And so this morning, if you're taking notes, the title of the message and what we're going to see the next few weeks is that in Christ and there's a line. And then we're going to fill in that line of what we have as an inheritance of in Christ and what our identity in Christ should begin to look at, look like. 
So this morning, it's in Christ, I am saved. And when anyone thankful for your salvation? You know, salvation, as we talked of last week briefly, isn't just a confession we make and then we get a ticket out of this world and into the next, but it is a full picture of what it looks like to take on the nature of who Jesus is. And salvation is something we work out our entire lives. And we're going to look at that this morning. You know, I was thankful that, or I was thinking and studying, when you look at salvation, the name Jesus, or in Hebrew, Yeshua, literally means salvation, Savior. So Jesus is essentially married to his mission. It's who he is. It is his nature that we know we can't save ourselves. Parents, you know you can't save your families. You can't save your kids, but it's him that does all the saving. He saves us. Many times we are our own worst enemy. Anybody ever looked in the mirror and say, yeah, I'm self-destructive right now. We're our own worst enemy, but he saves us from ourselves. This morning, and I believe um, Allison, she's over with the kids, she has an amazing rescue story because Jesus rescues us and we love rescue stories, but she rescued a pup. You need to find out that story. It's awesome. But she has her rescue puppy. And uh, if your children have dogs, allergies, we will pray for them, but they are helping the puppy be rescued this morning. So it's a good work they're doing. But this morning, if you open your Bibles, I want to look at Ephesians 2 because it talks about the grace we have and what it looks like to be in Christ and how we're to walk and take on this new nature. Ephesians 2 verse 1 reads like this. It says, and you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked according to the course of this world according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. Verse four, but God, there's our but God, but God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love, with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Verse seven, that is in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace, you have been saved through faith and that not of yourself. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk therein. Look at somebody and say, I'm his workmanship. You're his workmanship this morning. And this is beautiful because as his workmanship, he works on us, he works in us, and he works through us. Salvation touches all those areas of our lives. Other translations say that we are the masterpiece of God. Scripture also says that we're as the clay in the potter's hand, and he's working and forming us, showing us this new life in Christ. So in Christ, we're saved. Sean, if you put up uh, a couple of our slides, our our PowerPoints quickly. I just want to go through some uh, points here if you're taking notes because we really 
can't appreciate what we talked about last week, that we're rich in Christ, if we don't know really what we're saved from. And what Paul is saying here to first century Jews, that, hey, your works aren't going to save you. It's the works of Jesus Christ that save you. You also look at a lot of other religions from Islam to Hinduism. It's a very works-based religion that what you do determines your salvation. What you do determines your eternity at the end of your life. But we put our faith, we put everything we are in Jesus. If you go to our uh, next slide here, Sean, we're saved from what? Second slide, saved by whom? And third slide, we're saved for what? So those are questions we have to answer. Throughout our lives, if you don't find out what your identity is, there are legions of other spaces and places and, and culture and everything to tell you who you are and what you should be doing. There is great urgency that we know who we are in Christ. Parents, a lot of your job in the house in your little church is to evangelize to your kids to say, hey, this is who you are in Christ. And when they grasp that, when lesser things or lesser um, opportunities come that aren't Christ, they're going to be able to say, no, 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 that's not who I am. My Bible tells me that I'm the righteousness of Christ, or my Bible tells me I'm loved, so I don't have to go looking for love in all the wrong places. Somebody said amen. <laughs> in Christ, we are saved. And you know, the things that rob us, the, the fancies that try to pull us as idols, the Bible is full of, of scripture that says, here's how you don't fall prey to idols. Idolatry is simply not worshiping the creator, but worshiping created things. We worship Jesus and Jesus alone. We're thankful for his blessings. We're thankful for his presence and his touch in our life. But we don't worship the blessings that come into our life. If we do, then that can become an idol. Money can become an idol. Going after the American dream and stuff and things, not bad things, but it can't be the focus and the center of our worship. We don't worship idols. We worship God who created us. And when you have that as the focus of your life, then grace can come to work and empower you to do what he's called you to do. So we know we can't save ourselves. It's only by the grace of God. It's by the finished works of Jesus. When we identify with him, we begin to find our identity. We don't go looking in other spaces and places outside of God to find who we are, what we're called to do. We go directly to Jesus. Aren't you thankful that because of the resurrection, the veil was torn so that we can boldly approach the throne room of grace and experience all of who he is? You don't have to go to a pastor or a man of God to say, can you speak and hear from God for me? No, you can go directly to him, directly to his word and see who you were created to be. It should liberate you and free you. So we're saved from our past. Salvation covers our past, it covers our present, and it covers our future. Said like this too, it's in the past we are saved from the penalty of sin. In the present we are saved from the power of sin. Who's thankful you're saved from the power of sin that's working to pull you down, to pull you out? You are saved from the power of sin. When you're saved from the power of sin, it's the power of God in us that is greater than the temptation around us. You have power over temptation. You don't have to say yes to temptation because the power of God, you are in Christ. And in the future, we are saved forever from the presence of sin. We know that in the beginning, you read the Genesis account, that God created everything, and what did he say? It was good. 
that we see what communion with Christ looks like as Adam and Eve walk with God in the cool of the day. They experienced his presence. They enjoyed God. They uh, found out who they were because they were close to the Father's heart. But we know what happened when sin came in. It began to decay and to corrupt God's creation. And so fast forward, present day, we live in a world that is corrupted and decayed by sin. The reason bad things happen to good people, the reason uh, wars and, and tyranny and the things we see in this world are results of evil and the results of sin. And so I believe, and I, I think we all believe, that there's this longing within us to have good in our life. There's this longing within us to return when we read the Garden of Eden. That's where our heart's desire is to be. But we know that sin and evil have polluted and corrupted our world. Think about it. Why do we have police officers? Uh, because they keep justice at bay. Why do we have firefighters? Because they're the ones that respond to disaster. Why do we have hospitals? Because that's what is used to heal the sick. There's results of sin that all of us deal with. And Paul is saying there's this old sinful nature that you have to shed off and then you put yourself in Christ. And how does that happen? It's you come under and understand his grace and then you have faith in that grace and then living works begin to happen in your life because of what Jesus has done. Another thing you need to know about your eternal life and about your salvation is that eternal life doesn't start when you die, but it's the moment that you're in Christ. Eternal life doesn't happen when it's your funeral and you've breathed your last breath. Eternal life happens the moment here on earth that you say, I'm a follower of Jesus. Your eternity goes into motion and the cycle of your eternity begins. And so I love it when you really get the heart of what Paul is saying here, that we're saved by grace, we're saved by Jesus' works. And what we just read, again, if you were a first century Jew, tons of questions would have come up in the air. So the apostle Paul, as a great pastor, would say, hey, we're gonna answer these questions so that you can live in a life of grace. Anybody want to live in the rhythm and the pace of grace here this morning? It changes everything in your life. And so look what he says. This is really, what are you saved from? There's six things we see in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 through 3. If you're taking notes, you can write these down. Verse 1, again, it says that he made you alive, you who were dead. So he saves us from eternal death, saves us from death. And it says, you who were dead in trespasses and sins. So he saves us from our sin, number two. One death, two is sins. In which you once walked according to the course of this world. So he saves us from worldliness. The course of this world, worldliness, is number three. According to the prince and the power of the air. That's Satan and his legions of demons. So he saves us from Satan, number four. The spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom all, also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of the flesh. So he saves us from ourself. He saves us from the flesh. He saves us from an old nature. So number five is old nature. Fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind and were by nature children's, children of wrath. Who's thankful you're saved from the wrath of God? the judgment of God that we all deserve, but because of Jesus, he took our place and paid the price for us on the cross. And so these six things, death, sins, worldliness, Satan, 
our old nature and the wrath of God. We are saved from what Jesus did on the cross and what he resurrected. Those things were deposited into your account, this new nature, this new identity that you no longer have to be defined by the ways of this. Conversely, on the other side, those who aren't in Christ, these are hallmarks, unfortunately, that define them. That they're the walking dead, in essence. That they're alive physically, but dead spiritually. That they're motivated by sins. They're trespassing in the kingdom of God. They're walking in worldliness, or they're under influence of demons. They're following the lust of their flesh. And then one day, if they don't repent and turn to Christ and come under the grace of God, they would have to experience the wrath of God. You know, when I see the wrath of God, it puts an urgency within me as I pray it does you, that man, we have to evangelize. We have to get the gospel out. We have to tell people that there's grace for their lives, that they don't have to fall into and walk and be led and motivated by their old nature. So quickly, I wanna go through these and bring some truth out. As you're studying Ephesians, I pray that you read and meditate on it. Get some good commentary. Find sermons that speak to the truth of this. But number one, what we're saved from and what we don't identify with in our own nature again is death. We know that death is the result of sin. Think of it this way. Those that are walking in the old nature, we've been saved from it. But death, because when we see, we're like, okay, well, that person's not dead. They have money. They have things. It looks like they're blessed. But really, this is what it, what it is. See, we're created as dependent creatures, right? We're dependent upon God. We have to have an external power source in our life. And that power source is the spirit of God. It's God himself. Those that aren't dependent on God are therefore independent. So John 15 makes a lot of sense that it says when Jesus is the vine and we are the branches and apart from him, we can't do anything. And so a branch can't grow if it's not connected to the root system. So in essence, when we come to Christ and and receive the work of Jesus in our life, we are no longer spiritually dead. We only die once, a physical death, and then we live forever in eternity with Jesus Christ. And so death is defeated on our behalf. And it's, it's like you have a phone, those walking in the cycle of death, where it's as if they're unplugged from their power source, but on a battery life. But you know at some point that battery is going to run out and cycle out. They might have the appearance of living, but they're not connected to the source. And we as Christians, we are saved by grace and we are connected to the source and we have the Holy Spirit to empower us through anything and everything, whatever situation we find in our life. Aren't you thankful you're not the walking dead? You're alive in Christ. He made you alive. Every spiritual blessing is in your account. Number two is trespasses and sin. You know, sin is motivated and is seen through our deeds our words, our actions, and our motives. I like how it says trespasses too, because when we sin, we essentially trespass in the kingdom of God. We step out of the kingdom into the world. And it's like that, that source of, of dependency on God, that plug is pulled. But when we repent, we're renewed and we plug back into God. He gives us repentance to renew us so that we can continually walk in Christ and continually be under grace funny story. First time I remember trespassing. Anybody got a good trespassing story when you've been caught? There were some consequences from it. 
Well, growing up, me and Christian would hang out a lot, and uh, we would spend a lot of time together, usually getting in trouble, but hey, what do young middle school boys do? But there was, this is a church-safe story of trespassing, but there was one time their subdivision was getting developed, and uh, there was this barn out in the distance, and we're like, you know what? It's so far out. We don't see any houses. There's, there's probably not an owner. This barn is decrepit. It's falling apart. Let's just, go, let's just go snoop around and see what we can find. And so thankfully, there wasn't a lock, so it's just a come on in. You know? So we open the door. We go in. We start looking around, and in the corner is this tractor, this little John Deere tractor. We're like, hey, if we can push this thing home, you know, we can have us a nice tractor. This, this is going to be sweet. And so we start pushing it. Christian goes running around looking for a key. I'm sure we're making a lot of noise, whatever. As we're making noise, I, we, I remember uh, kind of looking in, uh, off the distance in my peripherals, and I see a man with a beard standing there. He just, I don't know how long he was watching us. I mean, he, he put the fear of God in us pretty quick. He said, boys, you're trespassing, and if you don't get out of here, I'm going to go get my gun, and I'll show you a thing or two. Probably joking, but I talked to my Uncle Charlie, who's a farmer, and farmers really don't joke about that kind of stuff. Um, we thought he was, but we took off sprinting as fast as we could and never turned around. With that being said, hey, there's consequences when we trespass. And God's word, it's not law to keep us bound and out and, and, and freezed, but it's boundaries to keep us from stepping, from trespassing into sin because God loves you. And as a good father, my parents, my dad would, would put rules around us, not because he wanted us to keep us from having fun, but because he loved us. And he wanted us to stay safe and he wanted us to not fall off the cliff. So when we see God's word, it keeps us from trespassing. It keeps us in grace. It keeps us in Christ. But our old nature, it's prone to trespass. It's prone towards sin. But aren't you thankful again that we're made alive in Christ, that we can put on a new nature? Number three is worldliness. Worldliness is simply rebellion against God. The world is, the kingdom of God has its ways, and then the world has, this, has its ways. And either we're following the kingdom of God or we're following the ways of the world. You have to think of the world this way. I've heard it said is that the world is like a stream, a river, that has deep currents in it that are just taking the majority down the stream. And the destination of that stream is damnation, is death and destruction. And until they experience Christ and say, I wanna follow Jesus, they're plucked up out of that river of worldliness and then put into the kingdom of God. Now in the kingdom of God, we have power and we have a new identity, but we live in this world, but not of it. So in essence, that worldly river, it's almost like we turn around and then we start swimming upstream. Now, swimming upstream is tough if you've ever done it. You can get tired quickly. You can begin to lose your breath. You can go under. It's tough. But it's when we come into Christ, here's the thing. The grace of God empowers us to fight worldliness, to fight the tide that wants to pull you back in and take you on with the majority. But we know that we have grace, that we're in Christ, that worldliness, we don't have to say yes to temptation, but we can say yes to the grace of God. 1 Corinthians 1.21 even says this. Paul says, 
that since God in his wisdom saw to it that the world would never know him through human wisdom. So the world just laughs at Bible wisdom. The world laughs at Christians because they don't get the wisdom or why we would want to, to, to paddle and to swim against the stream. But what happens when you swim or when you stay consistent in something? You begin to gain strength. You begin to see the currents and, and can see things in the currents coming at you. And guess what? Your strength comes because you're empowered by grace to not fall prey and just slide in with the world, but you begin to fight and you begin to, as we get into Ephesians 4, you begin to see you have a spiritual armor that you can put on. It's amazing if you've grown up in this church like me, it was pounded into you that you have an armor. And then I can remember my parents coming in and bedtime's prayer, man, we would go to spiritual warfare before we would go to bed. It's like she was covering our dreams. She was covering our sleep. We were putting the armor of God on. Still do it today. But you've been given armor to protect yourself because you're in Christ. So we don't want to be in rebellion. You know, it's easy to go with the world. I wrote some of these down. It's easy to commit adultery rather than celebrate 50 years of fidelity. It's easier to give up on your kids than to persevere with your kids. It's easier to spend all your money on yourself than be generous toward God and generous toward others. It's easier to have a corrupt sexuality and a morality than make progress by the kingdom grace of God. Those things are easy to flow with, but when you decide to follow Christ, as we've said, following Jesus is free and it's grace, but there's a cost to it, and Jesus talked of this cost. But the cost is so far worth it. Something that is expensive, something that is worth of value, if it was easy and cheap and free, everyone would have it. But when you see the, it's like Jesus said in the parables that when the man saw the pearl in the field, he sold everything else to go and get it. It's worth it. And God's grace sustains you. You can't get it without being in Christ. That's the thing. That's why we're saved by Jesus' works. And the thing is, as we're making progress in this life, it's not about being perfect, but it's struggling in progress. We're making progress as Christians. That's why when a new believer comes in or someone who doesn't know Christ, who are we to judge them? Who are we to call them out on things? They're making progress. They're starting off. They're, say, they're trying to figure out that what the heck is in Christ even mean? But we as Christians are, are sometimes the quickest to judge or to point a finger. When we're to come around and say, hey, I love you. Jesus loves you. Have you heard about the grace of Jesus? Let's get in the book of Ephesians and see how you're rich in Christ. Let's see what salvation looks like. I'm telling you, I'm telling you when you're motivated by grace, God will give you opportunities to show that grace with people. Eternal life doesn't begin when you die, but it begins when you're in Christ. Number four is Satan and his demons. Not only are there those that are God's people, but Satan has people as well. Anyone seen that before? Not only are there people empowered by the Holy Spirit, but how many know people can be empowered by the demonic? Satan is an angel by God, created as a minister and messenger, but he became proud in his heart, rebelled against God, was full of himself, and led a massive rebellion against God. Satan in his nature is rebellion. And as we see, Sean, if you go to Ephesians uh, verse 1 through 3, or 2, verse 1 through 3, you'll see that it says that he was the prince and the power of the air. 
It's amazing when you look and when you read it. The reason Jesus, Jesus was crucified up in the air was to defeat the prince and the power and the ruler of the air. Satan is defeated, but he still has influence in the world today. He still influences evil. He still influences false religions. He influences in the demonic. Anyone ever experienced a demonic attack before or a spiritual attack? It's, it's, it's flustered by Satan. That's why we, the Ephesians is going to talk about spiritual warfare, and we'll get into that in the next few weeks. You know, you also see people, and sometimes you scratch your head that you know they're not in Christ or they're not saved, but you're like, man, they're really blessed. They look like they're having fun. They're on vacation all the time. God, I would think they were blessed. Anyone ever seen someone like that before? And you just kind of scratch your head. I don't get it. I'm over here working hard, trusting Christ, breaking my back, working a job, being faithful in my family, but I don't feel blessed. And you look over here and you're like, man, they're just blessed. Everything works for them. Everything goes. You know, when you kind of remove the surface level and you get in and you see someone's life or you remove the surface level of your life and you get into it, how Satan can work as well is just as God blesses us, Satan can bless certain people if he, if he desires to. But it comes at a cost because Satan only does blesses someone if he gets their soul in return. And so Satan can bless someone for the purpose of enticing other people to pull them into that lifestyle or to pull them away from Christ. Satan's crafty. What was the serpent? It was crafty and cunning in the garden. He knows how to speak to your flesh, make you feel real good, speak to your desires and say, I think this is a desire of God. That's why we have to have discernment because we have to know what's good and what's God. We have to know what's the flesh and what's the spirit. And so we see through this also, number five is the flesh. And it says it very specifically. It says through the mind and through our desires that that's how our flesh operates and works. I love this too, and you can write this down, that when you say, I want to be in Christ, I want to follow Jesus, it's not becoming a better you, it's becoming a complete and total new you, complete and totally new, not a better you, not a self, Jesus isn't a self-help message, he puts, he takes you from death and puts his life in you, it's amazing, and so we see our desires, Psalms 37, 4, this is a scripture that has blessed my life, that I know many of you have, is it's a memory verse if you've grown up in children's church. It says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. You know, when you become in Christ and you begin to start walking in your identity, you see this amazing remedy happen in your life where at once in your old nature, your desires and in your new nature, God's desires, they're kind of at conflict with each other. Well, when you start enjoying God's presence, when you start praying and fasting and worshiping and speaking the word of God over your life, when you start spending time with the Holy Spirit and hearing for his voice, what begins to happen is, guess what? You're delighting yourselves in the Lord, and he's depositing his desires into your life, when before you know it, your desires are just naturally his desires. Isn't that amazing how that works? And that's the heart of when you're under grace is his desires start to happen and work in your life. Well, what do those desires look like? Our flesh tells us that not to be a servant, not to lay yourself down, not to look out for someone else, but when you have the desires of God, guess what? You start loving your neighbor. You start loving people that can do absolutely nothing for you, but you're an image bearer, and you know they're an image bearer. You have the Father's heart, so you can love them 
into Christ. Or there's desires where, that, were, that God put in me where I want to love and protect and serve my wife or I want to love and protect and serve my family. Those aren't worldly desires. Or those are, those are God's desires. The world says, hey, do whatever you can for you and look out for you and spend money on you and spend your life all about you. But when you have God's desires, guess what? It involves others and it involves other people. You can go and read Romans 7, 15. Paul has this struggle and it talks all about it. He says, I do not understand what I do for what I want to do, I do not do. And then there's all these other do's he starts talking about. But you can go and read that, that he was have this struggling of the desire and of the mind. Secondly, is the mind, that we can have the thoughts of God, that we can think as God thinks, that we can have the mind of Christ. That's why Romans 12 says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. When you get into God's word, guess what? You begin renewing your mind. You begin thinking as he thinks. Number six is our old versus new nature. Again, Jesus speaks many times of, uh, of, an, of a tree that bears bad fruit and a tree that bears good fruit. When we're in Christ and under grace, guess what? We become a tree that starts bearing good fruit. He saves us from dead works. He saves us from the works of the flesh and of sin. And guess what? Living works start blooming because of the grace of God on your life. It's amazing because as it says in James that faith without works is dead, we're not saved by works, but works are, works are the um, uh, outgoing, the outpouring of our faith. It shows that, hey, our new nature just doesn't stay within ourselves. It begins showing up everywhere in our life. And so we see that this old and new nature, we put down our old nature and we take up the works of Jesus and grace in our life. Romans 2.5 says this, and lastly, if, Brie, if you would come, Brie and Seth, is that we're saved from the wrath of God. Now you look at other people who are in old nature, who don't follow Jesus. Sometimes when you're evangelizing or when you're talking, they'll say, well, you know, I'm good. I, I, I'm, I'm not experiencing evil or I'm a good person. And, you know, I'm all good. All's good. You're good. I'm good. We're good, right? But this is what Paul says to that idea or to that, that at the end of your life, you're not going to be good. He says this in verse five, it says, but in accordance with your hardness and the heart that you have, you are treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. See, here's the hope, how we're saved from the wrath of God is the debt is either paid by Jesus in the past or it's paid by us in the future. It's either paid by Jesus in the past. That's why God has given this life to respond to grace. Because if we don't, everything we do, everything in our old nature, every sin, all this kind of stuff, guess what? It starts building up and there's an account that if we don't come under grace and under the cross and the blood of Jesus, then we have to give an account for every evil deed we have. Jesus speaks many times in the word of God about heaven and about hell. And it's not to, to say God's a God that wants to put you in hell. He tells us of hell. The Bible, you gotta think of it this way about hell. It's almost like a travel brochure that says, hey, here's hell, here's what it's like. It's weeping, gnashing of teeth. It's a lake of fire. If you were to pick up that travel brochure, you would say, heck no, I don't want to go to hell. I'm going to start, I'm going to come over here and I'm going to go and I'm going to come under Christ and I want to know what heaven's about. 
So the wrath of God keeps you, it puts a fear in you that, and it, it makes you realize this is what I'm saved from. The debt is either paid by Jesus in the past or it's paid by us in the future. Think of it this way as well, is that if someone were to come up to you and say, hey, however much debt you have, however much student loans you have, however much mortgage you have, guess what? Because I love you, I don't even know you, but because I love you, I want to pay all of your debt off. How many of you would be very excited about that? (laughs) Well, that's what Jesus did for us. He chose us even before we chose him, and he decided to pay our debt. It's amazing. And here's the thing of how it works, too, is if you had more debt, if I only had $5,000 in debt, but you had hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt, you would be that much more grateful because you had way more debt. Jesus is a friend of sinners, and he's here to tell the world that your debt can be paid. There's a way. You don't have to fall to these things. This is what we're saved from. Quickly, Ephesians 2, 4 through 5 says this. It says, but God, who is rich in his mercy because of his great love, with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive. Somebody say alive. Together with Christ, by grace, you have been saved. Ephesians 2, 8 through 9, for by grace, you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Verse six, and raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places with Christ Jesus that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. So we see this theme over and over again. Not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. God's grace is a gift to you. Thank him for it. When you come, worship as someone has paid your debt that you have been set free. And it says, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For here it is again. We are his workmanship. We are his masterpiece created in Christ Jesus for good works. It's kind of funny because you hear Paul say, no works, no works, no works. And then you hear him say works right here. And your mind just kind of gets blown. It's like, I thought we weren't doing works. Now there is works. But again, that's taking dead works. And then he puts living works within us. God, which God before prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Right now, I want you to bow your head and close your eyes. I want to pray with you. And the team's going to do this song. I am all he says I am. Just take a second and reflect and just ask the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, where is my old nature trying to rear its head up? And wherever you identify with that, then say, no, the word of God says I am all who he says I am, by by his works I am saved and I put myself in Christ. Allow grace to empower me, to put, to kill the old nature, to take on living works. Holy Spirit, you desire the richness of your mercy to flow freely through us. God, allow us to take your word and put up boundaries to keep us from trespassing. God, give us your grace this morning as we're praying and as they're singing, if there's anything that you need to come and just take a knee at this altar and repent and say, Jesus, I repent of this. Renew me in your grace. Empower me in the kingdom of God. 
if that's you and you just need to come forward and take a knee, this, this moment is open for you. But right now, Holy Spirit, I thank you for your word. I thank you for identity. God, not one at Gathering Place Church, not one child, not one adult, not one teenager is going to have an identity crisis. Because when we know who we are in you, everything about us changes. How we walk, how we live, living works start flowing out of our life. Right now, Jesus, we connect to the branch. We connect to the vine. We connect to the power source of who you are. Channel into us. Deposit your grace into us right now. In Jesus' name we pray. Thank you, Lord.